This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update. Today, we're talking about how to combat anti-Asian racism, both during the pandemic and beyond, and physicians' important role in that effort. I'm joined today by Dr. Adi Gao, the AMA's Vice President of Ethics in Los Angeles, Dr. Anna Yap, an emergency medicine resident at the UCLA Olive View in Los Angeles, and Hannah Sup, the AMA's Director of Health Equity Performance and Operations in Chicago. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Uh, Anti-Asian racism has become much more visible recently with the very public violence uh, that we've seen against Asian Americans. You know, has this shined a light on an existing problem or does this reflect a new wave of anti-Asian sentiment in our country? Dr. Gao, will you start? Thanks, Todd. Um, so where are you from? This question on its surface seems benign enough but it's really a question that I and probably every Asian, Asian American or Asian appearing person in this country has been asked at some point in their lives. Even Chinese and Japanese Americans who can trace their family lineages in the US farther back than some European Americans. This question really speaks to the long history of othering and Asians being seen as foreign, and that's been a part of the Asian American experience from the beginning. Um, I would also say that the model minority label of Asian Americans, again, on its surface, seems benign and even a compliment. Uh, but this oversimplified label, however, fails to acknowledge the socioeconomic and education disparities among the more than 50 ethnicities comprising people of Asian descent. Asian Americans are not all doctors, engineers, or professors. Asian Americans as a group have the highest income inequality and have the highest percentage of long-term unemployed during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it also discounts the fact that Asian Americans in the healthcare workforce have been racially accosted, even as they care for the sick and have died from COVID-19, including, for example, Filipino-American nurses at shocking numbers. So um, that Asian Americans are held up as so-called model citizens and then face attacks as a non-human foreign contagion in the seeming blink of an eye, frankly speaks to the invisibility and insidiousness of anti-Asian racism. Dr. Gower, you know, are we seeing a new and stronger wave of racism and hate uh, against Asian Americans? There's no question that uh, some of the language describing the COVID-19 uh, virus has inflamed anti-Asian uh, racism, but it's nothing new. Uh, as uh, I mentioned just a moment ago, the, the model minority label has also been used as a racial, we a racial wedge 
to pit communities of color against each other. So the notion is if you just study and work harder, you too can succeed as a quote unquote self-made American as the label goes. And, and this model minority label also obscures the so-called bamboo ceiling, whereby Asian Americans are looked upon as hardworking and industrious, but not suited for leadership, thus maintaining white dominance in leadership positions. Ms. what what is your perspective? Yeah, I think I just want to echo a lot of what Dr. Cow mentioned. And, you know, we know that race is a social construct and the definition of how race is, is evolved over time. And I just want to go back to history and point out that Asian Americans are actually the only minoritized and marginalized group that has had intentional and explicit legislation passed that actually barred them from entering this country. Um, and at a time when, you know, only 0.002% of the population was of Chinese descent, Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882. Um, and later other legislation was passed um, imposing certain taxes on the Chinese. And this is when violence escalated. And this pattern has kind of continued throughout the history of this country, including after Pearl Harbor attacks, um, the US um, opened these internment camps where Japanese Americans and others of East Asian descent were forcibly removed. Um, and also in um, the not too distant past, in 1982, a Chinese American, Vincent Chin, was actually brutally beaten and murdered in Detroit by two white Chrysler auto workers who were lashing out after the rise in popularity of Japanese cars caused resentment um, after the decline of Detroit's big three automakers. Um, we see this pattern continue after 9-11, attacks against Muslims, after the Virginia Tech shooting against Koreans. And what's most alarming about the anti-Asian hate now is that even the elderly, which is the group least likely to be able to defend themselves, are being targeted. Dr. Yap is a, an ER physician on the front lines uh, throughout the pandemic. You know, what is your perspective on this issue? So many, there's so much to talk about, but I'm just going to share my story. Um, I grew up in America. I'm, I was born in America. My parents are immigrants from uh, Malaysia, Asia. And my father, as an immigrant over here, realized that buying into this model minority myth, putting your head down and not fighting the system and trying to like work up, work up is like how you, quote, like defeat the system or try to go up in the world. Um, so he would always tell me, like, don't make waves, put your head down, like move forward. But during this pandemic, um, or just during my medical career, I've had patients give me more like benign racism, saying things like, well, if you were my nice little Asian wife, uh, then I would never have to come to the hospital because you could just be submissive and take care of me all the time. Um, things like that. You just you, you try to let it wash off your shoulders or not let it bother you because you still want to take care of your patients. And I didn't necessarily feel threatened by them. Um, but more recently, during this pandemic, I actually had a patient encounter where uh, the patient was a little psychotic, but definitely a very racist and definitely just like not a nice human. And I had gone in with my mask, so you couldn't really tell what I was. Um, but once he realized I was Asian, he started screaming at me obscenities and saying that my people were stealing food from him, that we just bought our Mercedes Benz with our money and that we were making him poor and that's why he was sick. And 
um, just so many racist obscenities. He threw urine at me and my nurse. Um, and it got to a point finally where I realized that the patient needed to get an incision and drainage, which means that you go in with a scalpel and you have to cut a boil that they had. And they had it near their groin. Um, and I verbalized, I told people that I was afraid for my life that I would have to go into this room with this very racist human who has already been verbally and even a little bit physically aggressive towards me. And I said, I'm, I'm afraid for my life. Um, I told it to my superiors. I told it to, you know, some other white folk. Um, and the only people who stood up to support me or even offer to take this from me was other people of color who were my subordinates. And I said, I can't do this to you because they're going to be racist towards you too. And I don't want you to get hurt. So I ultimately had to go in with two other, um, like, security officers to make sure that I would be safe while doing this procedure with a scalpel in my hand the whole time, terrified that this patient would stab me. Um, and this, this uh, like processing this, this trauma that I've dealt with since um, brought up a lot of, a lot of um, things for it. One being part of the reason why I couldn't just tell somebody, please do this for me instead, was partly this model minority having been like forced on me thinking, well, I'm a woman in medicine, in emergency medicine, which is kind of rarity. And then you're also Asian American and we want to always just prove that we're good enough, that we can like take whatever is thrown at us, that we can do whatever is asked of us so that we aren't seen as tr problematic or troublesome. So that was one problem. The other problem I think also that was, that brought up was just the idea that you know, maybe racism as at us is a little bit more insidious. It's not as visible. It's it's not as threatening necessarily that we've at least seen in our like mainstream media. It is becoming more prevalent now. But this happened before the Stop American Hate, uh, Stop Asian Hate thing went forward. It was more in the mainstream media, um, and it it was just so shocking to me that even though I said I'm afraid for my life, I didn't have you know, people of color, people, oh, sorry, pe like my white individuals, people who are supposed to be my allies, people with more power, stand up and help support me. Um, and so this is like going forward and we, our, our department's like making moves to become more supportive for people of color. And I want to say that my residency is fantastic, that I'm full, like with other people who are very supportive, but that was just like a small fail in the system that day. And I think it's just very emblematic of like the little small bits of racism that we as Asian American physicians, as Asian American providers do deal with every day. And that's yeah, something that's, that, yeah. That's <laughs> far beyond obviously little bits. Um, that's a harrowing story. Do you feel like your experience and you know what you've communicated as a result of that is gonna lead to changes in how you're supported in your working environment? I mean, it absolutely has. Um, and our department is working more towards anti-racism uh, anti efforts and supporting all our minorities of color, including Asian Americans. Um, so that's really comforting to me. And like, as I'm farther away from when this happened, because this happened quite a few months ago, I've been able to tell my story more and more, and it's been able to create more change. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Although <laughs> the experience itself was very harrowing and I don't wish it on anybody. Yeah. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox.
That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. Uh, Ms. Uh, uh, you know, Dr. Gao mentioned earlier in the, the, the program about, you know, issues around the naming of the virus as kind of uh, fomenting a lot of this anti-Asian sentiment. You know, do you see other drivers that are contributing to increased xenophobia and uh, specifically anti-Asian uh, anti sentiment? Mm -hmm. Well, as we kind of alluded to before, the anti-Asian sentiment is not new in this country. Um, and what has really, I think, enabled the resurgence of that is the normalizing of hatred and blame towards those of not just Chinese, but also East Asian presenting um, descent. Um, the former president media continued to refer to COVID as the China virus and Kung flu. Um, but what's interesting is that even though other countries, um, you know, there are other variants that are coming out from other countries where the virus is spreading, um, you know, there's no blame or hatred um, that seems to be coming out towards those citizens of those countries, but it continues for Asian Americans and the anti-Asian remarks still remain. And I think this just goes to show how deeply entrenched the anti-Asian sentiment is in the US and the perpetuation of a seemingly benign phrase like model minority continues to harm and damage the Asian community. Um, the AMA even came out and spoke out against this and you know, condemned such racism and xenophobia and stressed the importance of language and how that actually shapes dominant narratives that we have around different groups of people. Um, and so we need to continue to be vigilant, not only correct others, but as Dr. Yat mentioned, you know, people in other positions of power need to be able to stand up and step in, be good allies and accomplices when they see these kinds of things happening and correct the behavior. Dr. Gao, from an ethics perspective, what issues do we need to consider uh, when physicians feel unsafe in their roles because of xenophobia and other racial bias? Yeah, first of all, I just, I just like to say that hearing Dr. Gap's story is agonizing. And sadly, it's not uh, unusual. Uh, according to a survey that was done in 2017, nearly seven in 10 Asian American physicians reported being demeaned with racist and cultural stereotypes by patients. And, you know, as physicians, we routinely interact with people when they are not at their best and feeling vulnerable. And that is certainly the case during this pandemic. But frankly, empathy only goes so far, especially if a physician's physical safety is threatened. And also most physicians report that their organizations provided no training or had no formal policies on handling prejudiced behavior by patients. And while this kind of behavior is difficult for even the most seasoned physicians to handle, it really presents unique challenges for students and trainees. And as Dr. Yap was saying, you know, the, the silence of white attending physicians who have never been trained in how to manage such situations can make matters worse. If you have preceptors who witness derogatory or prejudiced behavior and they do nothing, I mean, the student and trainee will assume that their preceptor saw it, but didn't think it was a big problem. Um, I will say that this past November, the AMA House of Delegates adopted an ethical position on discrimination by patients. And according to this AMA ethics policy, 
it's a responsibility of physicians, especially those in leadership positions, to promote a safe and respectful work environment and to clearly and openly support students and trainees who experience uh, prejudiced behavior by patients. And so I would direct our viewers to the AMA Code of Medical Ethics at amaethicscode.org if they want to read the full AMA ethical opinion on this topic. Dr. Yap, I guess Dr. Gao really has provided some of the basis already, but you know, from your perspective, why is this an issue that physicians really need to understand in dealing with both their colleagues and patients? And ultimately, physicians are to be the leader of the team. Uh, and our other colleagues uh, in the healthcare field are going to be looking up to us when we're modeling the behavior that we want to be seen. And patients ostensibly are supposed to be respecting physicians and uh, what we have to say to them. And I think it's so that much more important then to stand up for your coworkers and to also just stand up for our patients when they need that help or also set those boundaries with patients when they need those boundaries. Um, I think the big thing that we as physicians can be doing is Yes, there are systemic things that we need to target. There are trainings that systems can put together, but not all of us are in that position to be able to put those systems and those trainings in place. We can talk to our systems, say, hey, we're missing this. But I think just even starting on the ground level, the behaviors that each and, one, each and every one of us do, that you know, if you see something that doesn't look right, that doesn't sound right, you step in and intervene. Um, you just say some, something as simple as, that's not okay. Or when you see your coworker having gone through that experience, you reach out to them, you say, hey, I saw that happen. You know, would you like my support in this? What can I do to help you? Do you want to take over that for that patient? Even sometimes might be appropriate. Um, and just going in that dialogue with your coworkers, knowing that you're an ally is so damn important. Mm -hmm. Well, Ms. can you uh, give us a little bit more background on the work uh, that AMA is doing to combat Asian hate? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, at AMA, we really value the importance of our employees and being able to speak for all people in order to promote the betterment of science and public health. Um, and really, in any organization, we know that staff are your biggest asset and source of value. Um, even our CEO, Dr. Jim Madera, you know, he's been reaching out to our employee resource groups to give them an opportunity to voice their concerns after the hate crimes that happened in Atlanta. Um, AMA President Dr. Bailey released a statement condemning the attacks. We provided resources to staff to learn about the history of anti-Asian sentiment, armed them with data um, and ways to show solidarity to support and um, combat Asian hate. And at the Center for Health Equity, we've prepared board reports specifically around Asian Americans, the importance of data disaggregation to show the diversity of the Asian diaspora because our stories matter, all of our stories matter. Um, and we'll continue to work across um, the enterprise to ensure that Asians are not left out of equity conversations um, and that more is done so that Asians are not put in the other category and rendered invisible and othered. Um, it's really time to let, let their light shine. Yes, that issue of data really is something that's pervasive uh, for many groups here uh, during the pandemic. Can you give me just any additional information about what, what that issue is? Yeah, I think data is really critical. Um, it's not just useful for academics. Data is used in every field for making decisions. It determines how money is spent, 
how laws are passed, how resources are allocated, which patients get which treatment, and so on and so forth. Um, even as a human being, your brain is using data all the time. Information you learn combines with past experiences and memories that really allow yourself to make the best decisions that you can. And people often make the mistake of thinking data is neutral, but really data and statistics numbers can be used to tell the story that you want to tell. And the lack of accurate and comprehensive data really masks the inequities that exist. And so that's why for Asians and any group, really, it's important that we disaggregate um, to make sure that we're able to highlight and really get at the inequities. For example, um, Korean Americans are actually at the highest uh, risk and prevalence of having stomach cancer. Without that specific disaggregation, we would never know that. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, last question, um, uh, Dr. Yap, why don't you start? You know, Is there anything uh, that can and should be done to combat uh, this? And what do you view as the responsibility of the medical community in contributing to the solutions? So I think in medicine, we see, yes, there are a lot more Asian Americans in medicine, but it's shocking to me how few of us are actually in leadership and in these positions of power. And I think if we get more Asian Americans or Asians in these positions of power, we're going to be seeing more change and we'll be able to think more about you know, what, how our community treats Asian Americans. Um, so I think that's one step that we can be doing moving forward for sure. Dr. Gao? So I would just say a couple of things. So, you know, personally, as a Chinese immigrant kid growing up in Los Angeles during the 1970s, I wasn't taught the history of America's anti-Asian racism in school. And frankly, I probably didn't need to be since I experienced it. And so after many years of debate, California is moving forward with a K through 12 curriculum focus on the history and contributions of people of color, including Asian Americans, and the racism that we and so many have lived with. So I think educating ourselves about the history of racism, including anti-Asian racism, is essential, and a, and a good educational resource to learn more about racism in healthcare is the AMA Journal of Ethics, which is free to everyone at journalofethics.org. And then the last thing I would say from a healthcare community perspective, the AMA has, lo has long and continues to focus on reducing professional burnout. I can tell you that uh, your Asian American colleagues in the healthcare workforce and the healthcare team are not only dealing with the stress of caring for patients during this pandemic, but they have to live with the added burden of anti-Asian racism targeting them. But what may be even more agonizing, frankly, is fearing for your mother or elderly family members halfway across the country being targets of unprovoked cowardly attacks. So, you know, I would call on my colleagues to engage in a simple act of kindness reach out to a colleague of yours. It could be someone on your healthcare team or a medical school classmate who you've not connected with in a while. Call them on Zoom, call them on Teams um, and simply reach out and reconnect because silence can be interpreted as ignorance or indifference. And, and frankly, ignorance and indifference to the suffering of others is antithetical to the ethics of medicine. 
and all who endeavor to care for people in need. Well, thank you uh, so much, Dr. Gao, for those comments. And uh, Dr. Yap and Ms. Uh, for your perspectives and the stories. Uh, this has been you know, a very, very moving uh, episode, and uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, that's it for today's COVID-19 update. We'll be back with another segment tomorrow. In the meantime, for resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care. This content was originally published as part of the AMA's COVID-19 Daily Video Updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.